Let's pray together and uh, we'll jump into the word. Lord, thank you so much for our time together in worship so far. And, and now as we turn our focus to your word, once again, we are reminded that we are sanctified, set apart by your word. and Your word is truth. We're also reminded that we need the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth to open our, our understanding, our mind and then our hearts because we don't want to just be hearers. We want to actually do your word, be obedient to it, and in that, be transformed from the inside out more and more into the image of Christ. So Lord, we love you, we love your word, and ask you now to continue to lead us and guide us in our time together. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, you've just joined us uh, since the beginning of the year. We've been in this series really called Pressing On, Pressing On. The Apostle Paul tells us, let's read Philippians 3, starting in verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So in a nutshell, we have launched 2015 with the theme of pressing on. To press on in these verses means that as a believer in this process called sanctification, and the sanctification process we've seen is a lifelong journey with the Lord of becoming more and more like who? Jesus, right? Through sanctification. But to press on means that we have to be actively engaged. Our walk with Jesus is not something that that is passive, something that happens by osmosis, you know. No, he says, I press on. I am actively engaged, much like a runner running a race, focused on the finish line, right? He says, I press on. And we have been looking at this, this theme of pressing on. And we've kind of, in the last few weeks, been been focusing on as believers how do we press on in 2015 when we still battle with this thing called sin right this thing called sin and we've been sort of layering it the last several Sundays together because I'm, I'm very sensitive that in the church uh, these days sin isn't a real popular topic right it's not like we're going to pass out flyers up and down the arcade here and say, Hey, Sunday morning, 9 a.m., preaching on sin. Want to come? You know, it, it's not going to fill the pews necessarily. And yet, if we're honest, who here struggles with sin? Who here wants to be more Christ-like? Right? So we're pressing on, but if we're honest with ourselves and with each other, this issue of sin is just a daily, sometimes numerous times a day, thing that we have to uh, work through. Now, in order to, to, to properly work through it and deal with it, what, what God has kind of put on my heart for us is to understand sin biblically. It's just like heaven. Sometimes uh, we pick up things regarding sin, and if it's not accurate, it sends us off into these little tangents and, and, and we get caught up into these ways of dealing with God and dealing with our sin that maybe aren't biblical. Maybe aren't biblical because we never really understand, well, what is sin? 
what is sin? You know, some of us grew up, sin was just a, there's a list of don'ts and do's, and sin was a checklist, and, and God was sort of out there, and he was just waiting for you to mess up if you sinned. And so sin, we sort of maybe have grown up with this idea that sin was just uh, do's and don'ts, checklists, and, you know, after a certain time, if you, if you get a whole lot, you better go somewhere to, to empty the bucket so you can start filling it back up. Right? And so many of us, since we don't understand how to deal with sin biblically, your Christian life is about filling up the bucket and then figuring out how to empty the bucket and then going right back and start filling it up again. Anyone? You kind of feel that, right? It's like, can someone just, is that it? Until we meet Jesus, we fill up the bucket, empty the bucket, fill up, you know? And so we're going to kind of take our time because... because Again, I don't want to I don't want to be misunderstood because like I said when you start talking about sin, people get nervous and they think, "Oh, they throw around that word legalism and and all this, you know, that's not what we're about here. That's not what we're about here. But we have to understand sin. 20 plus years ago, I met this super nice guy down in San Diego. One of the nicest guys I've ever met. Took him to a Bible study, sat through the Bible study. You know, there was a, they presented the gospel Afterwards, we were chatting, and he goes. I asked him, "How? How'd you like it?" Oh, yeah, you know, heard the whole thing. And he goes, "But, but I got one question for you." You know, he, he was he was really troubling. He goes, he, he said this to me. He goes, "But I don't sin." Now. That was very telling because in his mind, it took me a while to realize that as long as he wasn't committing the big ones, he wasn't sinning. He was a very nice, moral, successful, hardworking guy. And this idea of sin didn't really sit well with him. He wasn't hurting anyone. He wasn't lying. He wasn't cheating. You know, he, so, so ever since then, I, it's dawned on me that, that we have to have a very a biblical understanding of sin, if we're going to understand our relationship with the Lord, first and foremost, and then our relationship this way. So what I did is, on your uh, sermon notes here, there's a one side that says review, hearing the word, and then it says review. I woke up this morning about 4.30, 5 a.m. I'm like, boop, and, and this wasn't even on here this morning. And so I had to come in, and, and it's just something that, that the Lord's like, we got to go back to the basics really quick. Because if we're going to talk about sin today, we have to understand it in the context of salvation. And just so we're all on the same page, just so we're all on the same page. Sometimes people go, wow, how come when you when you start your sermons, you spend so much time reviewing? Well, if you're like me and I preach this, we forget. We forget. Right. And so there's layering that has to happen. And also, when you get to the core, the, the core doctrines of our faith, you can nev- it never gets old. Don't, don't think that in your Christianity, when you learn something, you just, okay, now I can move on. You always got to come back to it. You always have to come back to the core because it keeps you rooted and grounded. keeps you rooted and grounded. So under review, let's just look at this. We're going to go through it fairly quickly, but it will help us all to understand, I think, in a very broad sense where, we, where we're going. We've shared before, and a lot of this is review from things we've covered over the last four years, okay? So just understand, if you've been with me for four years, if you've been with us, 
you, you probably know most of this, but, but hang with me. There's three tenses of salvation. Okay? Salvation means deliverance or rescue. Okay? There's a past tense where we've been saved. When you put your faith in Christ, you're saved from the penalty of sin. Right? There's a present tense. Right? You're saved from the power of sin. And then there's a future tense. You're saved from the presence of sin. Right? Heaven. One day will be, there'll be no more sin. So there's three tenses of our salvation. Sanctification would be the present. We're saved from the power of sin. We're no longer slaves. Right? And daily we're in sanctification. General definition of sin. And we're going to come back to this in the weeks ahead. Sin, in the original language, it's missing the mark. Missing the mark. The, the word picture is hunting or target practice. In fact, they say if you, were to, if you were to shoot back in the day, if you were to shoot at a target and miss, they would yell sin. Because you missed the mark. That's, that's, that's the, the most concise definition of sin. All right? Missing the mark, falling short of God's holy, perfect standard. Okay? Now, here's the problem. Romans 3.23. All have... All have sinned, right? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, okay? So, sin is missing the mark. The Bible says all have sinned, all of us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, separation, right? John 3.18 says if you believe in Jesus, you're not condemned, but if you don't believe, you're condemned already, okay? So here's the issue with sin we talked about a couple weeks ago. Very important. People sometimes get real defensive when we talk about sin because they think we're accusing them of being a bad person. Okay? Because I look out here, and as I look at you, you're pretty nice people. Pretty nice. Good. Turn to the person next to you and say, just give them that look. You're nice, right? Just kind of right. You're right. Right? As a whole... Here, we're nice, moral, hardworking, desiring to follow Jesus people. Amen? So when I say sin, you're like, oh, you, what are you saying? What are you saying? I'm a bad person? No. The, the core issue with sin is not that you're such a bad person. It's that your sin has separated you from God. So your situation before God is as bad off as it could be. You understand what I'm saying? Sin separates us from God. So you're as bad off as you could be in that separation. It doesn't mean you're as bad as you can be. Helpful? Okay. Sin has to do with what it does to your relationship with God. Not that, not that you're a criminal. Not that you're a bad person. It just means that all have sinned. The wages of sin is, of, is death. So in that position, we're as bad off as we could be. Okay? What was the solution? Let's turn to John 3.16. Many of you can recite this from memory, but this, let's look at it together. Turn in the Bibles to the left, a few books. John 3.16. Right? Why don't we read John 3:16 and 17 together? We read from the 1984 NIV here. So John 3:16 and 17. Ready, set, go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him 
shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Okay? God's solution to the sin problem. Amen? Right? Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates His own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ what? Died for us. So there's the solution, right? And then you keep going down there. We, we've uh, spent this last uh, couple Sundays. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Definition of grace, God's unmerited, undeserved favor shown to people who are totally undeserving of it. Let's look at Ephesians. You're going to go a few books to the right. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Core verses here. And we've spent weeks on this because we have to understand that this church, biblically, we stand upon the truth that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? Right? Look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by what? Works, so that no one can boast. Okay? It's not by works. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is a gift that we simply receive. Amen? All right, that's the woohoo moment we've been talking about, right? So we do that, right? We've been talking about salvation. We spent a few weeks looking at, okay, so when I put my faith in Christ alone, when I have this born-again experience, what does God do with my sin? Answer? He remembers it no more. He doesn't forget it. He remembers it no more, right? Isn't that awesome, right? We talked about Saul who used to persecute the church. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, gets converted. And he says, hey, Paul, I now have a plan for your life. And I remember your sin no more, right? And we shared this, right? Some of us as believers, we carry around guilt and shame and embarrassment for all the stuff we did before we were a Christian. Because we don't understand biblically that the Bible says He remembers our sin no more. As far as the east is on the west, He separates it from us. Right? And that's what I shared. I shared like Tina. Right? There is no file cabinet in heaven with your name on it. And you're not going to show up at the pearly gates. I don't even know if those are... That's not even biblical. Well, sort of biblical. They're pearly. There's pearls, right? And, and uh, name... Oh, Tina. Shing! Let's start back in kindergarten, shall we? Right? Yesterday! Yesterday! No, just kidding with you. He remembers our sin no more. That's that glorious truth, that, that sense that, oh, can I just have a fresh beginning? In Christ, you can. Right? What does the Apostle Paul say? By the grace of God, I, I am what I am. I'm a saint. I'm an apostle. Oh, right? Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a saint. You're a saint. He remembers your sin no more. Now, people remember your sin. Oh, yeah. 
People will throw your past at you, right? The devil will be accusing you, right? Don't talk to my sister too much because she'll tell you stories about me, you know? <laughs> you know? I've shared with you kind of, you know, my, my, my hesitancy to go to high school reunions because the first question, hey, what are you doing these days? Uh, I'm a pastor. Ah! You're what? Dude! <laughs> you remember high school? Yeah, I know, man. Please, you know? It's like... Right? But as a believer, we have to embrace who we are in Christ today. He remembers our sin no more. So now, that's liberating to press on as a believer. Amen? So that brings us up in your notes there, okay? What we call position versus practice. Positionally, we are complete, loved, accepted in what? Oh, come on now. This is like four years ago. Okay. We are complete, loved, accepted, and pleasing. Positionally. Yes. Clap. Right? That was, we did this four years ago. Positionally. If you're a believer right now, at this very second, you are in Christ. The Bible says you are clothed in the righteousness, His robe. And you know what? He is pleased with you. Positionally right now, God is smiling at you. How does that make you feel? Oh, you don't know me. You don't know. You don't know what happened this morning. We got in a fight on the way to church. What do you mean? He's, yeah, you know. There's our position, and then there's our practice. We have, this is why you have to remember this. Every morning, 24-7, you are positionally complete, loved, accepted, and pleasing. Right? It's where you are positionally. You're in Christ. He's, he's, he likes you. <laughs> he loves you and he likes you. Okay? Yes. It's, it's good. Right? Turn to the person you just say, it's all good. Oh, some of you are like, that's all I needed to hear. Whew, I thought I was in the doghouse. <laughs> you know what I mean? I thought he was about to give me the boot. No. Positionally, you are you're good to go. Now, our practice doesn't always match our position, does it? Our practice, as he says, to work out your salvation, right? As we work out the dailiness and the responsibilities of life and the co-worker we don't like and the family member we love and send, uh, you know, just, <laughs> you know, we never have conflict with and just have gotten along swimmingly for, no. Right? In the stuff of life, our practice doesn't always measure up to our position. Because of sin. And, and that's where we're heading. So, so I appreciate your, your uh, patience with this, but it just helps us reset everything before we move forward in Christ. Okay? In Christ. So now we're going to flip that page over and we're going to talk about pressing on as a believer where we understand that grace, being saved by grace, is not a license to sin. Right? In fact, uh, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll... You'll obey me. Paul in Romans 6, someone says, Hey, since we're saved by grace, should we just keep on sinning? He says, No way! By no means! You can't live in a lifestyle of sin. You have a new nature. You're no longer a slave to sin, right? So we've been studying that, right? Last week, okay, last week we understood that when you put your faith in Jesus, you now enter into a relationship. Last Sunday, we asked, what kind of relationship is it? 
And we learned, and we studied this last summer, and all the tapes are on there. It's something called covenant. Everyone say covenant. Covenant. When you enter into a relationship with God, it is a covenant relationship. He intentionally uses the the word picture of marriage. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. It is meant to be a permanent union or bond. Right? When When I marry people, when I do... Uh, weddings, I will often have two post-it notes. One post-it note is just stuck together with the post-it note stuff. I get the other post-it notes and I gorilla glue them. Right? And I say, look, marriage is a covenant. It's permanent. It's meant by God between a man and a woman to be inseparable. Unfortunately, in our day and age, most people look at marriage as a contract and it's just post-it note. It comes apart real easy. But God says, no, it is a covenant. Covenant, covenant, covenant. Why is this important? Because look on your notes there. Halfway down. Entering into covenant is the end, the end of independent living. Again, it's much like when you decide, when people come to me for premarital counseling and they want to get married and we explain covenant, I look at them both and I say, okay, you understand you're giving up bachelorhood, right? And you understand you're giving up being a bachelorette, right? There is no I, me, my. It's now we. It's a covenant. It's the end of independent living. Well, here's the, thing. here's the same thing, guys. When you enter into a relationship with the Lord, you enter into covenant. It's, it's a we thing now. And many of us, this is the root. Okay, we talked about it last week. This is the root of much of our struggle with sin because it's not really doing something bad. What we're struggling with is wanting to be independent. We still want to assert and live under sort of our independence, our autonomy. We want all the blessings of heaven and the Holy Spirit and fellowship and everything. like. We want all the good stuff. But over here, I still got to have my independence, though. I still got to have my independence, Right? And that, we saw, look at the um, front of your bulletins there. We, this was a quote we, we had last week, the very front. So what is sin? At its core, sin is living independently of God. It is doing life on our own terms, in our own power, and for our own pleasure. Sin is a state of being before it ever results in actions. Therefore, sins are the actions that result from doing life apart from God. As humans, we are created to live life most freely and naturally in a relationship with God, right? We tend to define, misinterpret freedom and independence, biblical freedom, right? We tend to uh, define freedom as no, no restraints, no constraints. I want to be free. That's not really biblical freedom. Right? It's not really biblical freedom. The last quote, the last part says, As humans, we are created to live life most freely and naturally in a relationship with God. I shared with you last Sunday, this is my new pet in my office. My pet fish. This fish is free to be all that this fish can be in the context of what? Water. A fish is made to flourish where? In water. Fish gets in trouble when he wants to assert his independence 
and jump out of water. Which I heard happened this morning in the sink in the fellowship hall. As the water was getting changed, fish jumped and almost went down the drain. So those who saved fish, thank you. But as fish was apparently flapping in the sink, he wasn't doing too well, independent of the water. Because he wasn't made to be outside the water. Put him back in the water, I think he's happy. Right? We are made to be in relationship with God. That is where we flourish. That is what we were designed for. It's this independence that we struggle with that wants us to jump out of that. That wants us to assert control and autonomy and be on the, the throne. That's when we get in trouble, right? That's when we get in trouble. I was thinking about Genesis, right? The story in Genesis, right? The Garden of Eden. How many would, would have loved to have been in the Garden of Eden before the fall? Perfect, right? And everything you need, you have fellowship with God. Everything's just great. In fact, you don't have to turn to Genesis 2.15 says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man. Listen to this. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. There was freedom. With constraints and limitations, but they were free within that environment, right? What happened? Well, the devil comes along, right? The serpent. Genesis 3. What does he say to Eve? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. God says, hey, you're free. I put some constraints and limits, but you are free to be in fellowship and enjoy life together. You've got everything you need within this. The devil says, oh, come on. Don't you want to be like God? Sovereign? Able to do anything? Don't you want your independence? Right? Question. When were Adam and Eve most free? In the garden before the fall? Or kicked out of the garden struggling through childbirth, the ground is hard, and you're going to toil and labor. Right? That's, that, that's the deception of sin. Sin promises freedom, but ends up in bondage. The devil's not going to come to you and say, Hey, want to do this? It's going to ruin your life. What does the devil do? Hey, Come on. You can do it. It's going to be fun. It's going to help you. It's going to help you, right? And all the while, he's, he's reeling you in with the deception. And sin ends up with you being in bondage. It was a lie. And I just, I think, Adam and Eve, you were in the environment where you needed to be. And the devil said, you could be like God. Consequences. The consequences of this desire to be like God. And we still struggle with that. We still struggle with that every day. When you are tempted to sin, maybe what you do now is you reframe that. Okay, Lord, 
this isn't just about doing something bad. This is about me asserting independence from you, isn't it? Mm. Changes. Changes our view of sin. Because we've seen that sin is relational. Sin is relational. We saw in Ephesians, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How many of us define sin as, oh, when I sin, God is mad at me, right? Versus, when I sin, I grieve God. I cause Him pain, sorrow, right? That changes again. This is why we're taking our time with with understanding the biblical view of sin because I don't know how many of us ever throughout the day go, oh Lord, I don't want to grieve you. I don't want to cause you pain and sorrow by, by me choosing independence. See how suddenly the power of words and understanding changes your view of sin. It's not just, oh, you did something wrong. He's mad at you. Lightning bolt. No. Sin is so personal because you're in covenant with Him. And we, He wants to say, hey, just love me. Would you just love me and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? I'll, I'll, when you're tempted, I'll always give you a way out. I'll always give you a way out. I just want you to love me. Oh, okay, I can do that. Because I don't want to grieve you. I don't want to grieve you, Lord. Right? And then you look in that, as we go down the, uh, the outline there, it says, Biblical freedom versus independence. Freedom is not the absence of limitations and constraints, but it is finding the right ones, those that fit our nature and liberate us, right? Jesus says in John eight thirty one and 32, the truth will set you free, right? There is freedom in Christ. But he says in biblical dependency, John fifteen four he says, without me you can do what? Nothing, right? So within freedom in Christ, there's still absolute dependence on Christ, on Him. We don't become independent of Him in our freedom. We're still absolutely dependent. And then, let's turn to 1 Corinthians. This dependency, guys, even applies to the church. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. In the context of this chapter, he's talking about when you become a believer, you are baptized, you are put into the church, what he calls the body of Christ, and he uses the image of a body, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 21. Look at this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. What is he saying there? He says, hey, in your covenant relationship with the Lord, you're absolutely dependent on Him. Without Him, you can do nothing, John 15. But these verses remind us, hey, church family, there's no such thing as independence from the church. And that's, that's kind of a theme these days in, in sort of the Christian community. Oh, yeah, I, I, I love Jesus, but I don't go to church. Well, 1 Corinthians 12.21 says, you can't say, I don't need you. There is a mutual dependence even in the body of Christ, guys. We do need each other, right? You might as well turn to the person next to you and say, I need you. Go ahead, just say, I need you. I need you, right? Now, why is that hard? Because we have been raised to be independent, self-sufficient, don't need anybody, right? Right? And along God comes and says, oh, you're a believer? Oh, Tina, here, boop, 
You need everybody in this place. <laughs> and they need you. And they need you. It's mutual dependence. Right? So if we're going to understand biblically the, this idea of sin, we have to understand it really part of it is independence and dependence. We have to settle the issue. Lord, okay, I submit. Without you, I can do nothing. John 15. I need the body of Christ. If you can spend the necessary time, days, weeks, months, to let that go from here to here, watch what happens. Watch what happens. Then it becomes a joy. Then it becomes a joy. Then you stop trying to be the fish jumping out of water all the time. You're like, okay. Okay, Lord, today you said I can do nothing without you. Okay, t- today, I'm going to believe that. I can't, I, I can't do my job. I can't be a husband. I can't be a wife. I can't be a parent. I can't be a student. I need, everything, Lord, I need you. Because you said I can do nothing without you. But if I abide in you, I'm going to bear much fruit. I'm going to do that today. Oh, and then, Lord, you said, I need the body of Christ, so we're dependent on each other. Okay, I'm going to stop fighting being independent from church. I'm in. Where can I serve? How can I use my gifts? I'm needed. You're needed. Amen? Right? So we're going to look next week at what do we do with this freedom in Christ specifically. And, and I thought of, you know, this Powerball thing. This past week went to $500 million. Half a billion dollars, right? And I was, I was reading it. Then I went online and I searched what happened to past winners, right? And it's, it's tragic. Tragic when you, when, you, when you read stories of people who won 10, 20, 30 million dollars. And in a matter of years, it's all gone. And sometimes it ends up in divorce and suicide. And, and, and I was thinking, how does that, how does that tie into this? They, they won the lottery, the Powerball, but they didn't know what to do with their financial freedom. It turned about me and serving myself. And sometimes as believers, you hear wonderful scriptures, you're set free, no longer a slave to sin. But if you don't know what to do with that spiritual freedom, you can turn it into self. You can go spiritually bankrupt and get tied up in the knots because you're using liberty, your freedom, as a license. And we saw that's not biblical. So we're going to look at that next week. Right? We're going to close with a story. Turn to Second Samuel. Of King David, who was a man after God's own heart. Right? Second Samuel, Old Testament, Judges, Ruth, First Samuel, Second Samuel. Okay? Story of David and Bathsheba. Alright? David, if you read through it, just man after God's own heart, right? And there was a time in David's life where he decided to assert some independence. He just decided to assert some independence, right? Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab, out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of 
Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Okay. Long story short, just to summarize, right? David is supposed to be out. Verse 1 says, this is the time when kings go off to war. We don't know why he didn't go, but one night when he's supposed to be out there, he says, I'm, I'm here. He goes out, and the way the city was built, it's built on the hill with the palace up top. So he goes out, and he's just kind of looking at his city, and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath. Calls for her, sleeps with her, she gets pregnant. David has a problem, right? Finds out she's married. And her husband is out fighting. Calls for her husband and he starts scheming. Just a great picture of us, right? When we go down this independent road and we start to make decisions that have consequences, it just leads to one choice after another choice. And this is just a series of poor choices. Because now David wants to cover it up. So Uriah comes, says, hey, how's it going? Good, good, good. What he tries to do on a, on, on, over a few nights, he says, Hey, why don't you have some R&R? Why don't you go home and sleep with your wife? Uriah is an upright guy. He says, Hey, how can I do that? My buddies are out on the field. He doesn't go and sleep with his wife. He, he goes home and he sleeps at the doorway. Right? And David's like, Oh, man. David even tried to get him drunk. Right? So the time is coming for Uriah to head back to battle and David's like, oh man, this is not good, this is not good, this is not good. You ever been in that situation? This is not good, this is not good, this is not good. Right? And, and you're scrambling and David says, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Okay, here's the deal. He gives Uriah a note to hand to the general. Uriah doesn't know what's in it. David says, hey general, the next time you attack the wall with your boys, pull back without telling Uriah and leave him hanging out there. And that's what happens. David gets message back. Hey, hey, King, sorry to say we were attacking the wall and Uriah got killed. What is David thinking? Good to go. No one's ever going to know if Uriah had slept with his wife. No one's going to know the kid is mine. He thinks he's good to go. He covered it up. One independent choice after another. Right? But look at the verse. Look at the end of verse uh, chapter 11. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Somewhere along the line, David forgot that he was in relationship with God. Isn't that us? When we get this independent spirit and we start making our own choices, somehow or another, we forget that God is watching. And we just begin to make these choice after choice after choice, and we think we're living in a vacuum, and we think we got away with it, and all the while we forget that, no, God saw it all. And in fact, in this case, it had displeased the Lord, Grieved him, right? So if this goes on, some people think for about six months, at least six months, David thinks, ah, in the clear. And then God sends the prophet Nathan to David. 
right? And he tells them a story about a rich guy stealing one little sheep from a poor guy, right? And David gets really mad about that, right? Chapter 12, verse 7. So David gets really mad about this poor guy getting his lamb stolen. He says, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah. You killed him with the sword. Right? He gets busted. But don't forget on the front end of that, he says, look at what, look at what Nathan says. This is God speaking through Nathan. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Here's the thing, guys. When we assert our independence, it's not necessarily that you intend to be a rebel against God. Here's what can happen. Deuteronomy 6.10 says this. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, here it is, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You know what can be the root of our independence? Affluence. The blessings of God can lead us to be independent of God. We forget that everything we have, everything you have, everything I have, is from Him. And in our culture, we get so comfortable with the affluence that like David, we can forget Him. And back in Deuteronomy, God says, Hey, when you get to the promised land, when you enjoy everything that I've given you, verse 12, be careful. You do not forget the Lord. It's not that you're bad, evil, mean people. It's just, honestly, in our culture, in our country, with the affluence, it's easy to forget God, isn't it? Affluence is directly related to our independence. Because we don't feel the need. Because life is good. And then when life does this, boop! Oh, Lord! I need you! The truth is, we need God 24-7. Amen? We really do. We really do. And then look, here's, here's the great thing. Look at verse 13. David gets called on it, and then he humbles himself. Look what he says. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. You know what David said? Oh, that's right. It's personal. He, said, he didn't say, oh, you busted me. No, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. He, he realized, you know what, in my independence, in the choices of to pursue sin, this was really against God. It was still personal. I, didn't, I forgot it was personal, but God never did. And the condition of his heart, he was so broken and so humble and contrite that he said, in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. 
And that's kind of where we have to be, guys, as we move forward. Positionally, we're in Christ. But sometimes our practice doesn't match up. And you know why? Because we get comfortable. And we're not mean people, bad people. We just forget the Lord. We forget Him. And then we choose to be independent. And in our independence, what do we do? We forget that it's still personal. (laughs) But here's the good news. David was forgiven and restored. There were still consequences, but there was restoration. And here's my encouragement to all of us. When you sin, and when we work through confession and repentance, here's the great thing about your covenant relationship with God. When you sin and you receive restoration and reconciliation, you know what that does in your relationship with Him? Deepens it. Deepens it. It doesn't make it more shallow. He doesn't pull away from you. When you come to Him with a humble and contrite heart and you say, Oh, Lord, I sinned against you. Please forgive me. Your relationship with Him deepens because you experience His grace. And He says, like the prodigal when He came home, Come here. Come here. Yeah, Garrett, I know. Come here, man. I still love you. How many of you like would love that? You blow it. You come back with humble and contrite heart, and instead of getting, I told you so. I knew it, Garrett. You're I knew it. One more time, right? That's what we expect. What does God do? No. My son who was dead is back. He's home. That's what it is. That's why we've got to understand sin and confession and repentance biblically because we go deeper with Him. We all blow it. But we've got to believe in our heart of hearts that the Bible says if we, are faith, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And when you experience that grace of having blown it, and He says, ah, I still love you, Betty, come here. You know what you do? You go, We're going to have some... Shai, you can bring it down. We're going we're gonna to have a, a song. We're going to close the message with a song. And I encourage you... We've never played it here, but just look at the words. And my prayer has been this morning that if there's somebody here or somebody, that, you know, Lord, yeah, I've kind of been independent. I kind of, I kind of have, have been doing my own thing. And this might be an opportunity for you to, to come home. Because it's about love. And here's the great thing. The, the title of this song is called Simplicity. And guys, i got to tell you, it's pretty simple. Love God with your whole heart. Just love Him. And if this morning you realize, oh man, I've been doing, a, I've been doing my own thing, just come back. Just come back. Lord, we thank You for Your grace that Your mercies are new every day. And as we hear this song. May it be a prayer. May it be a time for us to be real. And if we've been independent, forgive us. If we sinned against You and we've forgotten that it's personal, forgive us. We want to come home. So we, we open our hearts now. A time of, of reflection and meditation and confession even if necessary. So we just give You this time now, Lord, in Jesus' name.